0: Hi folks, a little bit of housekeeping before we start the podcast. First, I want to thank lots of you for sharing, liking, telling people about us. Uh, the numbers are unbelievable. I mean, generally, August would be quiet in terms of uh, political coverage. I get that there's been a little bit of traction behind a few stories, but nonetheless, it's really heartening to see so many more people uh, coming on board, sharing Tortoise Shack podcasts and enjoying them. Uh, thanks for doing that. But if you want to keep that show on the road, we need you guys to put your hands in your pocket. Just join us on patreon.com forward slash shack Ch- Try it out for September. See how you, what you think. It, there's no contract. You can cancel at the end of the month. But I promise you, if nothing else, you'll get access to tons of additional content plea-free including the Sunday shows uh, where we tend to turn those mics off at the end and have the conversation with uh, the panelists and our audience members. That's you if you've joined. Uh, And yesterday it was just a brilliant, brilliant conversation that was had. And uh, thank you so much to everybody who did join us there, who has um, shared their experiences of the far right and the rise of the far right in Ireland. Uh, And it was really uh, heartening to to, to hear those conversations happening. I'll stop blabbering on now. This is the short version of yesterday's live show. It was, again, as I said, one of the best ones we've done. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you will join us one last time. Patreon.com forward slash Shack. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the tortoise shack Sunday special live. A great lineup of guests we have today we have gavin elliott from threshold gavin is the legal officer from threshold we have dr ashland shaheed we have sam mckelwene from our newly launched shrapnel podcast if you haven't listened go listen it's bloody fabulous and lastly but by no means leastly we have shamim malikim from the dublin Inquirer, and shamim is here to keep manners on everybody. But before we start, I'm going to go over to Tony. Tony, you have a couple of things that you'd like to talk about.
0: Just a few little, you know, me, I want to last you sure a couple of things really quickly. Um, I just there's one. one. I, I know the Robert Troy thing, Martin, it's dead. But I think, it, again, have you read the gist this morning? No, I haven't read the gist. Simon McGar's morning. gist is out. And it just has one of the best uh, sentences, I think, that sums up what was wrong. Uh, and I'm going to just read this sentence, if you don't mind. Robert Troy was not brought down by his regulatory errors and omissions. He was sunk by the behavior that his peers in the political class found to be perfectly normal and the electorate unfathomable. I think that's a good
1: line. Yeah. Great. I mean, as much
0: as I, 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 as much as Simon, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit of a maverick out there, but what, what a perfect line to to sum up the entire mess. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about really briefly is that, um, the jeffrey shannon report into st john's ambulance and the historical sexual abuse that went on there and something as you know we've covered on this podcast several yeah. times that's due to it's 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 done um thanks to the great reporting by ali bracken we know that it, at least a dozen more people have come forward and given and given their accounts of what what went on i think it's really 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 powerful that we need to um watch for this goes with St. John's Ambulance. We would love to see. I know the survivors want to see it published in full, no redactions. I want to see real action on this. I just think it's really important. Uh, I believe, for, again, hearing from people, survivors and people involved, that Dr. Shannon has done an incredible job of putting this together. The sooner it comes out, the better. And then the the very last thing I want to mention, because we said it last week on the podcast, we called it and sadly we were right. There was a about Twelve hours of outrage about the traveller accommodation, the budget's not being spent, and we said it would go away really quickly. Yeah. And and the next day, no one was talking about it again. It's something we need to keep on, keep highlighting, keep hammering. Um, it's still it's acceptable racism in my mind, Martin. That's what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we it happens all the time, and we turn a blind eye to it and pretend it's not happening, Tony. Yeah, I just
0: uh, again, I just think it's something that. You know we, we need to move on to look I, I we do need to move the show on but one of the reasons um uh, the the doc has joined us is because if you've been paying attention and many people unfortunately have been very busy but there's been tragic um flooding and we're you know people are talking about climate action climate change and what's happening but what's happened in pa- Pakistan in the last number of days has seen now over a thousand people dead and Thousands and hundreds of thousands potentially displaced, and thousands of people watching their homes uh, that they've built over a number of years just literally flooding away. Uh, Arslan, can you please um, explain to us one of the
2: what's what's going on and how people can actually raise a finger to help? Hi, everyone. This is Arslan here. So um, it basically started in the first week of August. Um, like normally, we would expect monsoon rains um, during the last weeks of July and on the early weeks of August. Uh, this year, it was expected to rain, but the, it wasn't expected that it will rain too much. So it started in the southern parts of Pakistan, which is called Balochistan and Sindh. So initially, like the first week of August, uh, around 20 percent of one of the province was totally flooded. Around 100,000 homes of that province was totally destroyed. More than a million people were displaced because of that. And then it progressed to other provinces as well. So it's all, um, at the moment, I don't have the exact figures, but it's more than 1,000 people who have died. Um, More than 250,000 homes totally destroyed. So people living in those homes have no shelter at the moment. Um, And a lot of uh, pregnant ladies, a lot of children being... um, being affected as well uh people not getting food people not getting any access to shelter uh a lot of uh diseases like cholera and all of those coming up as well because of this destruction so it's a total mess i I would say back in pakistan at the moment yeah and politically
0: it's also not exactly getting much traction either because it's also a bit of a a mess if i can be if i can be so bold
2: yes yeah it is like you know um people are trying to help you, uh, like over there but like uh uh i know like politicians back in pakistan they have their own uh, like uh priorities and all those things so uh it's really really difficult times at the moment there are a lot of organizations they have um uh started the donation and the uh, and the appeal program for the floods um but i would say it's still a lot to do at the moment because um, it's not just like we have to provide them food and shelter it's the more of a rehab thing which will go on for years from here on you know yeah
1: yeah
0: it's 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 just to put some details on that they're saying of the 33 million people hit by the floods that's over 15 percent of the country's population yeah Uh, and you know we can sit here and we can talk about we're talking we're here this week that the 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 tarnished met with um uh, one of the senior business people behind the potential lng plant and how we're talking about you know this uh, fracking gas and stuff and then we see what what has been called the actual machinations of, of climate climate change in real time happening in pakistan and we're not we're not joining the two i know your uh your your friend um Mo Kamal he he tweeted out a GoFundMe as well, um, and we yeah. would like listeners maybe to click that because it'll be in this podcast as you're listening to. If you can contribute, but um, but but Mo just uh, I, Mo Mo couldn't make it, so Arslan, you stepped yeah. into the breach. But but can I just on 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 the you mentioned the organisations and and the time the 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 last question I have though is really is the world do you think been paying enough attention or is it just or, or is there just far too too much bad news at this stage.
2: Well, uh, the people have started to uh, gel in, you know, so, uh, like for the last two or three days, people have started to contribute it. But I would say that it is very little at the moment. People uh, do need to do a lot. Um, I think even a single penny, a single cent or a single euro can help can help people back home. So anyone who can uh, come and contribute. So I will. I have retweeted that tweet of uh, Mosin Kamal. So if people can go back and uh, go to that tweet and go find me. Mm. and there's a lot of uh, government in pakistan have also started a lot of uh, uh, the flood appeal as well so if people can go to that and start to donate on that organi- on that portal as well um there's a lot of different organizations i will tweet about those organizations on my twitter timeline and people if want people want to follow me and donate yeah. any one of those um at the moment, uh, it is still, it's still very less, you know, people are trying to help, but it, the destruction is too huge that um, it's it's very difficult for the whole nation to cope with it, you know. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. And when we looked during the week, there was floods, too, in Texas. I know there were nothing compared to what's happened in Pakistan. But, you know, as Tony yeah. mentioned, frack gas. We don't get a grip on this climate change soon. I'd love to know how people are going to manage the billion people who are going to have to move around the planet. I'd love to know how they're going to manage it. That brings me to Shamim. Shamim, you were telling me that program refugees have less rights, fewer rights than you did up until very recently. Will you tell us what a program refugee is and what you mean by fewer rights?
3: Yeah. Um, so. So people who come here um, through the international protection system and seek asylum, they usually obviously register, you know, and wait to get an interview date. And once they get the interview, and if they get the refugee status, they will be declared refugees under um, the UN convention of 1951. So they would be called convention refugees. And these are people who as I said come through the mainstream route but obviously the Irish government has the Irish humanitarian program the UNHCR program they have some commitments to taking some refugees and then um, for example when um, Afghanistan fell into the Taliban's hands they obviously had to take some Afghans and they would be people who come through these programs the humanitarian programs so they are called program refugees so what happens is uh, normal Normally, a refugee, somebody who has the refugee title, can travel um, across Europe uh, with without a visa. But for program refugees, they don't have the right to do that. And but this is just obviously they don't know. They come here thinking, "Oh, I'm a refugee, you know, I can travel." But and a lot of times, in most cases, they repeat, "These are people who." obviously the irish government took them as another government took their parents for example so they obviously need to travel across europe so these uh, my source who was from afghanistan he was uh, he was detained in brussels he had gone to um, a european union meeting he wanted to go he was detained because he didn't need a visa and then the travel document that the irish government issued for him is for program refugees it's not for convention refugees so they don't accept it even when he tried to get a visa from switzerland they said you can't this is not an admissible document you know and then in terms of family reunification also as i understand it from a letter department of justice sends my to my source um and again conventional refugees are prioritized so it's more difficult for program refugees to bring their families over
1: is there a way to fix this Shemaine? is there a way to make this a fairer system
3: well, the Department of Justice can can basically d- give them a refugee status under Convention. Um, but obviously it doesn't. But uh, for example, Sweden is one of the countries who does give conventional refugees to some of its uh, program refugees. And it's funny, I, I like to mention this uh, when I was doing the article on citizen information website, it said that both program refugees and conventional refugees do get a convention travel document and can travel visa-free. And as soon as I read the article, they went and fixed it on the website. But But like it was misinformation on citizen information website
1: on the irish citizen information website that we, Yeah. Yeah. So now they've they've altered that to say that they can't.
3: Yeah, yeah, they did.
1: Is there anything people can do to put pressure on the government? Uh, to- I
3: the, I think somebody from Uplift contacted me, said they want to do a petition for the Irish government to kind of change this and make it possible for people to travel. Other than that, well, it's, it's in the discretion of the Minister for Justice, you know, uh, she can, yeah.
1: So emails, phones, constituency calls to the Minister for Justice—that's how you do this. That is how you put pressure on this, Tony.
0: Yeah, I just want to no one comment. It's 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 funny. We see this yet again, time and time again. Whenever we're working, we're fighting for um, equality. We say this word equality so blandly, and you, it's almost it's almost you can almost point straight away and know that if something is happening to it's been affected by middle ireland it's already happening to the immigrant population probably you know for for a number of years i mean like like Arslan is sitting there but the last time we, we spoke to him was because he couldn't have family reunification, you know, sort of things that we would take for granted. Shamim continues to cover it. I'm sorry to go and say it, but folks support the Dublin Inquirer and the work that, that they do. It's really important that we keep those, those type of uh, publications um, going because I think it's those stories that don't get enough coverage and it's important that we try and talk about. We keep hearing that, you know, landlords being overrepresented in our, in our politics, Martin. We don't see many people from minority backgrounds. No, and, and
1: we don't. And when you consider the, the, the makeup of our population, there is certainly a deficit there, Tony, a huge yeah. deficit.
0: Uh, I, I, just just one thing that's quite embarrassing now I just realized I, I, quoted, I quoted Simon quoted and he's in the audience so I feel terrible now uh, he's going to bash me when he gets me um, there's, there's a lot of this is going to be of a piece actually today and it shouldn't be a theme but, but Gavin from Threshold it is of a theme all of these people fighting for uh, equality a roof over their heads um, you know keeping the most vulnerable protect the most vulnerable and you and Threshold have, obviously we've seen this week the record numbers of people going into into homelessness. We've seen all records broken with now over 3000 children, uh, currently in emergency accommodation. And you and I, Gavin, we've, we know that the figure is much higher because yeah. we don't measure it that way. But you're also involved in a campaign that was working its way through the system very slowly to ensure the right to housing. Um, and I want to be very clear. That's the right to adequate housing. Can you just give me a bit of background on that and the work that you're, you're involved in, please?
4: Sure, yeah. So Threshold is part of a coalition um called Home for Good, which is ourselves, uh Simon Communities Focus, um uh, Rory Hearn of this parish and uh, a few other Mercy Law and a few other organizations who came together maybe I suppose two or three years ago to kind of push for the right to housing to be included in the referendum and so, the, when the government, the current government, was formed, there was a, a commitment in the program for government to have a referendum on housing. <clears throat> so that was a little bit vague, but uh, as a lot of people will know, the, the government formed the housing commission, which is supposed to take a sort of um, you know a broader look at housing in general. And one of the things they were tasked with was to determine whether or not there should be a, a referendum on the right to housing in the constitution. And report back to the government, they are currently. Seeking submissions from the public, um, and the submission date closes on the second of September. So, I suppose um, the reason why people might have heard about it a little bit more than they had done previously this idea of the right to housing is because of that commission and what it's um, what it's doing. And we we hope, I suppose, that the the commission would report back to the government in in the autumn, and that that would. Uh, be a, a positive report, and they would suggest, uh, hopefully, suggest a form of words, and hopefully, suggest that there should be a you know standalone right to housing in the constitution. And uh, so that's just a bit of background. But if you want, I can go into.
0: Oh no! I mean, like, look, let's let's tell people the easiest thing. If they want to make a submission, if they want to re- get involved, is it's Home for Good? Is it?
4: Yeah, well, you can um go to the Home for Good website. All of the details on how to make a submission are there. If you want to. Um, if you want to make that a little bit easier for yourself, Threshold have uh, a page on their website where you can, there's a sort of form letter, you can adapt that, you can add to it, you can strike to it, and you can just hit send and that'll go to the commission. But I think it's important to, you know, just as many people as possible and as many people who are affected by the housing crisis as possible contribute to the to the consultation because, um, you know, these things can be a little bit, uh, you know, lawyers and politicians talking to each other about the constitution and at the end of the day the constitution doesn't belong to the politicians and it doesn't belong to lawyers it belongs to the the people of ireland so it's your constitution if you want to write to housing and that constitution then tell the commission and
0: hopefully the commission will take that on board we very well, much said. like a new we very much like a new constitution but that's uh yeah. i'm looking i'm looking at sam smiling now <laughs> 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 but uh no, look, Gav, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. And we will talk a little bit more about, about um the homelessness situation and the prevention issues as well on on that. If if, if you can hang on for a bit sure. a bit. But um, but but Sam, I see uh, you, you're you're in your head. There's there's it's not uh you're not immune in the north from this housing issue. It's actually gotten worse, and it's getting categorically worse by the by the by the month.
5: Yes, it seems to be every time that, um, I look at the headlines coming up from the south, it's like, oof, it's getting rough down there. And two weeks later, we're falling it in. Um, we're not going to be outdone uh, in a sad, perverse way. It's it's going per shaped rather badly. Um, we're watching We're watching the City Council have emergency meetings for the number of deaths on our streets, um, sudden deaths, whether it's drug-related or homeless-related. It, it's just becoming an absolute epidemic. Um, and... I think I think we're burying our head in the sand. You were talking earlier about it's a, it's a week for bad news. I think that's the problem. I think we're just rolling from one headline to the next and we're not absorbing the enormity of the first headline. We're sort of taking it as a shock and then we're moving on to the next one and we're forgetting the first one. I mean, we're not, we're not looking at the, the cost of living at the minute. We're looking at the fact that people can't live at all. The cost doesn't come into it. They haven't got a home. They haven't got any hope. And as... As much as it's important, the cost of living that we talk about it, we need to start from the grassroots up. We need to be looking at, let's get people in the housing, adequate housing. We shouldn't be putting them into slums. We should be putting them into housing that is fit for purpose. And we need to be looking at the fact that we have so much dereliction, so many abandoned homes, so much. Uh, what's the best way to put this? So, so many homes that could be used, not being used. And it's north and south. It really is. I was going to send you a few photographs during the week of Belfast City Centre and the amount of sort of areas that are well off, we'll call it. Mm. And they're and they're three story, four star, four story houses, the old sort of Georgian look fronts, and they're boarded up. And then I'm down the street and there's a house being renovated and it's being renovated for flats for students. And it's like, well, can we not renovate that one as well? Um and can we not put people in there who require a roof over their head for this winter because it's not going to be fun. Um but yeah, I think I think I think as much as the South is bad, we're doubly as bad. We're going the right direction for the wrong way.
1: I did see that there was, uh, uh, you know, criticism of the BBC for not talking about Brexit, which is the elephant in the room. And while I was watching that, I was thinking, well, North and South aren't particularly different when it comes to housing and it comes to cost of living. So maybe the, the real elephant in the room is neoliberalism and nobody bloody wants to talk about it at all colin harvey brought up some interesting comments questions during the week and i'm sure they received a mixed reaction within the 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 loyalist community but he made some good points and i'm quite sure within the loyalist community there's a lot of people who are saying no we don't want drugs in this community we don't want to be associated with drugs in this community what do you feel was the general reaction sam
5: I think the problem that, that Colin has at the middle is he's put that many people's backs up. They're ignoring the message now. Um, and I know Jamie's not a good friend of yours. You're not in his fan club. No. But again, he, he, he can make the odd good point as well. It's when they start to digress off that point into other fields that the, the the good sort of natured point that comes through is starting to get lost in it. Um, yes, we, we have a drug issue. Um, I'm sick of tweeting that. Drug is a cancer in my community, and I'm sick of people who are, who are so-called loyalists hiding behind a flag while they do it. Um, I will call it out in my own community. People people will always point and go, Vemans over there, they do it worse. No, I'll call it out first in my community. There, there are people who live within the loyalist community who are poisoning it, who are using it, who are making money off it, and who are destroying it from the inside. That needs to be eradicated first.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was a fair point he made. Uh, you can, know, can I, can I, Martin, can I
0: come on. in? Troy asked a really good question, and it's so it's um, about the prevalence of vulture funds in, in the north. And I don't know if Gavin, if you have much experience of it, but I know the guys in um, Take Back the City in Belfast were were, were were working on things as well in terms of funds in 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 the north. Have you have you any thoughts on this?
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I don't know, if, you know, in detail uh, the the amount of um, you know residential investment that. Big residential investment in the north, but my impression would be it would be maybe slightly less than in the south. But I was just kind of uh, a little bit kind of depressed by what Sam was saying because I remember um, when I joined Threshold, one of the very first things I ever went to was a conference in uh, Housing Rights NI hosted in Belfast. And um, they were, I was shouting to them kind of on the margins and they were saying, it's getting terrible. You know, people are waiting two or three years now for social housing. Um, And coming from the South, you know, to hear people waiting sometimes even three years for social housing is just kind of like, I think it was 12 years, 13 years at stage in, in Dublin. So um, the fact that the North is catching up quickly is, is, is bad news.
0: Um, Shameem, if I could ask you on this, uh, the housing issue comes up always and always and always in basically everything you cover. It's all it's the it's literally the people on the very margins, and it as I said at the outset, too many people in in the um, in the immigrant community uh, are, are are suffering from that. I, I, with the numbers now, as the, I see them coming out every month, I watch them and I get depressed reading them. But they also have this non-EU category as well. Um, how does that? What does that say to you? What message does it send when you're doing the work that you're doing?
3: It's disappointing, but uh, at the same time, it it shows the underdog status of the uh, non EU immigrants in the country. And as you know, um, immigrants are disproportionately uh, dominate the private rental market. You know, and they're they're a big part of it. And um, and uh, it's just unbelievable the impact that it has. I think there was a very recent ESRI report that came out that which analysed uh, the census data, and it showed that. Um, um, migrants, non-EU migrants, um, but I'm not talking about the UK when I say <laughs> I just want to make it clear, non-EU migrants um, and uh, undocumented migrants are more likely when they leave uh, homeless shelters, homeless uh, 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 support uh, groups or whatever, they're more likely to go back to homeless shelters and they're like more frequent users of it. Uh, especially, I like to call out how it impacts um, women who, uh, who come here with an immigration status tied to the husband and they don't have the right to work themselves because the husband is on a work permit that doesn't allow the spouse to work. So, um, and then uh, I, I've written about this before, that the husband turns abusive and refuses to um, renew the, the immigration status of the wife and then she leaves them but she would become homeless herself and and these, these are women in a situation where they're also afraid to go to the authority because they don't want to get deported, you know. Yeah,
0: and like, sorry, I need to just point something out on that. That was one of the very first, don't get started, Tony, one of the very first episodes, was the first episode of Police that we talked, uh, that Vicky did, it was about the, the migrant experience and not being able to um feel like they could go and talk to the police about something that had happened for fear that their immigration status would become the issue and not the actual violence or the issue or the wrong or the crime that had been committed against them and it's something that we need to talk about and uh, again but also Ars- Arslan you're you're still here so if you wouldn't mind me asking like i know for specifically in, in many cases for doctors we've seen where, you know, you have the work permit, but maybe your wife is a qualified medical professional as well and and is, is finding difficulties getting this paperwork. I mean, is it, are these still the cases or are you finding things are improving?
2: Yeah. Do you remember that there was a number of reasons we raised uh, about mm-hmm. that stamp four issue. One of those point was like the spouse or the wife or slash husband uh, were not able to, um, Work in work in the state if they don't have a work permit. So my wife came here like two years ago, and she came on the dependent visa on me, and like she was a qualified doctor, but she was on, she wasn't able to work for for a year, like you know, until she got her own work permit. But like last, like for since last year, they have started to give the critical work permit skills that has somehow helped from the healthcare professionals' uh, point of view that the their spouses can work if they're one of the spouses hold that thing. But like, I've been here since 2016. I have a number of stories where the wives or the husbands, like they were just sitting idle over there and they were like qualified professionals and they can contribute to the society, you know, and they were not able to work. Uh, And like what Shamim was saying over there, uh, I know one of the story like uh, from Limerick as well, they had a pretty much similar story that the the husband was abusive and that uh, the wife had to, she went homeless after she was separated from the husband um but she was on a dependent visa and she couldn't do much you know so um i think uh some of the things which needed to be changed is one of those fine point, like points like you know if you bring some non eu professionals either their healthcare or either of those like whatever profession they come from i think the dependent visas policies have to be modified you know they should I- be more
1: yeah I'm going to go to Tony in a minute about Ukraine, but before I do, I just want to conclude this part by saying that housing, homelessness and health are intrinsically linked, intrinsically linked. So when you see increases in A&E wait times, a lot of that is because there is nowhere for people to go. Um, So we're at the moment experiencing our highest trolley figures, our highest homeless figures that we've ever had. And we, we're in August. This is the quiet time. So we are heading into a winter, which is going to be terrible for both housing and homelessness. So I'm just going to move on to Tony. Tony and I see
0: Sam wants to come in there. So
1: Sorry, Sam, go on ahead.
5: Marlon, I'll just add your list of, of things there. The, the, the crime rates tend to go up along with that because we are forcing people into situations that they should never be in. Uh, And we also um, we also direct our our security forces, our police forces in that direction and they become the, the focus. Uh, and the focus is taken off what I would say is the real criminals the guy sitting with 16 houses <laughs> the guy sitting making money off the poor the guy robbing the place blind but um, yeah I would just add the crime written to that no, we-
0: I, 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 really important because it's coming around again in this in this next uh, term is the so and uh, they want to introduce drones to make sure people aren't dumping I guarantee you those drones are going to be deployed in working class communities <laughs> I yeah. guarantee you we will we we got to watch all of that and, and migrant communities as well it has to be said let,
1: um, let, let me just say before we go to the ukraine you can take down a drone with a toilet roll a toilet roll okay just remember that tony ukraine
2: sorry, Arsala, did you want to comment yeah this i want to add some last thing you know uh, please. so the last thing is that how can we ask like authorities are maybe too much strong to ask but like how how long will we like hide behind the curtains of covid 19 you know like if I ask for some one of my friends' child passport was delayed, the the department says it's due to COVID nineteen. If uh, one of my friends who uh, whose son is autistic and he's waiting a lot of services to be given from Department of Health and he's it's delayed for two years, the answer is COVID nineteen. If I go to some department for any other issues, they say it's, the delay is due to COVID nineteen. I don't know how long the authorities behind the departments will hide behind this COVID nineteen thing, you know. I think good they point. should realize that, that that you have you have to come out of it, you know, Fair eventually. Well, yeah. well, well, yeah.
0: if 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 the current government, as Gavin will t- attest, to this can get away with saying, you know, yeah. two thousand and seven has still stopped them. The crash in two thousand and seven has stopped them building houses. Gavin, uh, yeah. they managed to stretch that out for nearly a decade and a half now. So they, they who knows that they'll, how long they'll 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 dine out on the idea that co- we can blame everything on COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look in the Ukraine and. Um, that people are firing bombs at a nuclear plant. And I, I think we should just all agree, no matter where you are on the spectrum, that firing bombs at a nuclear plant is stupid. And um, no matter who's doing it, stop being stupid. Tony, you want no, to just talk no, a com- bit about just, this? Just,
0: no, no, I only want to say very briefly, I spoke to a few people in different areas of Ukraine this week. I find it very hard to connect with people who, who actually want to come on air at the moment. The mood is very low. There's a lot of people who've, who've, who've lost a lot of people, whether they're through actual people who are dead or people who are injured and have had life, ex- life changing. Um, injuries and the mood is very low and um it, it, it's just it's really really difficult and then there you know obviously people have almost there's a fatigue to reporting on Ukraine and, and I suppose that's only natural but at the same time you know Martin you pointed out they're looking at this incredible monstrosity of, of like They 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 took the the largest nuclear power plant on the the continent of Europe. They they, the Russians took it, and now there's there's talks of shell shells falling around it. It's just it's just terrifying, and we we need. I know we wouldn't get up in the morning if we thought about these things too long. No no no
1: no, we wouldn't. But
0: but we have to keep going. I do want to come back to you, Martin, actually, because you uh, you want to have this is this Martin. You've got more information on what's currently happening in RTE in terms of the settlements around the Eversheds investigation into bogus self employment in RTE.
1: Yeah, um, on the sixth of September, uh, the TUG has and the TUG is the SIP is the SIP uh, two end of of RTE have invited all trade union members who received Evershed contracts to attend a meeting to address any questions arising from the retrospection offered by RTE, which will will issue in the next few days. So in the next few days, RTE are gonna put a figure out there what they call retrospection. And that's to go to the workers they have mislabeled as self-employed, some of them for as long as 30 years. Now, I've given some advice on Twitter about it to RT employers or employees. First of all, it's not retrospection. It's reimbursement. You are entitled to every single cent that was taken from you through wage theft and through benefits theft. So that's the first thing. Um, The unions have, have been incredibly slow on this. It's well over 12 months since Eversheds. Uh, finished their report, and the unions should have struck ahead with each worker. Each case is an individual case. The unions are not helping you, so go into that meeting on on the sixth of September and adopt a little bit of Rihanna's attitude. Pay me what you owe me, and do not compromise. Do not compromise. You do not have to.
0: I I will. uh, Just one thing about the retrospection thing. It's quite funny. It reminds me of all the times that we kept having to hear of the number of years that this ex-bank has been hit with the largest fine in the history of the state. And, you know, they've had to pay out this amount of money. Usually they were just giving a lot of money back to people who they had denied that money. Retrospection
1: is Um, is, is a complete misnomer. How the unions have allowed RTE to get away with the word retrospection it's reimbursement remember revenue and social welfare will get every single cent they're owed they will not compromise now neither should rte workers and we should support them fully let me just be really plain about that we should support them fully 100 percent behind them that the tip of the iceberg there are thousands of workers to come behind them so support them absolutely support them
0: The uh, last couple of things, just very briefly, obviously, the talk this week has been about um, the looming power cuts. Here we go. Uh, We can keep the lights on. We're all going to be great because there's a plan now. Uh, But uh, uh, some of the things and again, we always have to call out some of the great journalism that does happen where people like, you know, we had Michal Martin tell people, you know, we didn't know it was this bad. And then people this, this weekend saying, well, actually, here you are. 11 months ago, been told it was going to be this bad. So you did know, you know, all of these things, there is good reporting going on. But the, the idea then that we, one thing that strikes everybody now, surely is that I saw the government's idea for, if you, if if this has been picked up yet, the price cap and the, the small windfall tax that you're planning on energy companies will reduce on average, a household bill per year by 18 euro.
1: Tony, if electricity is priced beyond the usage of people it's it's an effective blackout you don't need to flick the switch to turn them off they are effectively blacked out so the government is going to have to do something i mean you have so many crises coming together this winter gavin you wanted to come in there
4: yeah no just to just like add to that 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 you know in terms of housing it's the poorest who pay more most for for fuel for energy so they you know houses at the sort of bottom end of the market tend to be poorly insulated they tend to be um you know drafty and that sort of thing so any um any increases in the price of of energy will have a disproportionate effect on people living at on the margins and the poorest in society the the, the wealthier are insulated
1: I just have to say, Sam, I was pricing coal up north compared to coal down here. And you know what? It's worth driving up across the border with a trailer. It really is.
5: Do it today, then. It's going to go 50% over this week. I have, is a, it? Friend, I have a friend who works down at the docks in the cool yards. It's about to jump. Well, um yeah, well, uh, this is where we are now, folks. We're looking at
0: where where there used to be the time we went up north to get cheap drink. <laughs> now we're all looking <laughs> to get a few a few bags of coal. Um, the, the uh, look, we we're gonna wrap this part. I think Martin, we might knock it on the head. And we might open up the mics if anybody wants yeah, to hang on and so. ask a few questions. Um, but I just want to thank everybody for some great contributions, particularly now, uh, uh, Arslan Doc. I wasn't I wasn't anticipating you'd hang on for that, but you made some brilliant contributions. So we really really appreciate it uh, joining us we will hang on and um, we will see if anybody wants to have wants to make any points ask any questions Um and uh, I'll close the uh, I'll close the recording now because uh, we want to say the libelous stuff when we're not yeah. recording actually, so <laughs> that's, that's,
5: how we, that's how
1: this works <laughs>